It's great to be here today. I know a lot of you, in fact, one of you reminded me that, uh, I know several of you, but one of you reminded me that we've, I've known some of you for over 20 years. So uh, some of you know Jesse and Kim McCormick, and uh, many of you know that uh, he's our son. Some of you don't, but yes, he's our second son. Our oldest is up in uh, Long Island, and he's uh, single. He's an assistant pastor up there. And so we have Jesse and his wife, Kim, and their three kids who are down in Hilton Head. My wife is down in Hilton Head. And I'm seeing this pattern develop. Like, uh, each time I come here to speak, Brad tries to be out of town. <laughs> and, and, and today, even my own child and daughter-in-law and my grandkids and my wife don't even show up to hear me speak. So, I mean, honestly, I just want to thank those of you that got the email and saw that I was speaking and came anyway. Like, thank you. Thank you. I do bring you greetings from Heritage Bible Church. Uh, it is it is so special to be here. Um, for those of you that are grandparents, you know what it's like to either visit your grandkids or have your grandkids come and visit you. Or to get to see your adult children who are gone and out of the home, or they come to see you. And and I have some of those same feelings spiritually. In the family Bible time, we talked about how the Jesus said, these are people who are my family. It's the ones who, who do my will. And uh, so that's how I feel uh, because of the connections to so many of you and the privilege our church had to be uh, used by God to help start Emmanuel Bible Church with people from our church, and then God has graciously provided for you now for so many years. And it's just great to see what God's doing here. It was great to be part of the corporate prayer time and just hear some of the praises and requests and how God's at work. So thank you so much. Um, and then I'll just say... Uh, it's very encouraging when you get up to speak to um, hear things in the family Bible time and then hear things in the corporate prayer time when they don't really know everything you're going to speak on. And yet they there are some things that God uses to connect. And you go, oh, boy, this is nice. God's already tying things together like Brian. And I know Brad are very intentional and in trying to set up the order of worship and they pray and plan over things ahead of time. So I expected some things to be intentionally connected with the message this morning and what we're going to talk about um, in the way that Brian shaped the service, which was great. But there was one passage, like when you, whenever you do this, it's like you study, you get all the material together, and then you have to start cutting stuff out. You just have to, you have to figure out what and and one of the passages that I wanted to use, and I thought, oh, man, I just don't think I'm going to have time to get to it, was the passage in Corinthians that talks about, man, God doesn't use winners. He uses losers. Uh, he doesn't, you know, in order that if something gets accomplished, he gets the glory. In order that we don't boast in ourselves or what we've done, but we boast in what God has done for us and what he's doing through us. Um, so I want to talk this morning about something that's very common. And if you talk about it with somebody in a one-on-one -on -one 
circumstance, as I have many times over the years, um, they will bring it up as a struggle. But I have here uh, three pages of prayer requests. We, uh, when our elders meet, we try to pray, take turns praying for different members of our church family and all that. And we've done this for several years now when we have the elders meetings. And there are a lot of wonderful prayer requests and phrases and things like that on here. But, you know, uh, and there's all types of prayer requests. But, you know, the one uh, that I that I'm not seeing on on this one for our last meeting, I'm not seeing um, I sinfully failed this last week again. And so now I'm, I'm struggling to believe that God will keep on forgiving me. And that's one I appreciated about one of the prayers this morning in the corporate prayer time. Um, a sister in Christ up over here prayed something like, God, we thank you so much that when we sin over and over, you still forgive us. And 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 the challenge I've found um, in my own life and in the life of a lot of believers is, is just that, is the belief that uh, okay, I get it where the Lord forgave me when I first embraced him as Savior, or okay, I messed up a few times. But it's like it's like over and over again. And at some point, I'm thinking to myself, surely God is not going to keep forgiving me. Like, why does God put up with me when I'm such a wreck? Why does he even use me? And then it kind of, it, it moves to, it moves to, I had this failure again, or I've had this failure and I've struggled with it, you know, for so many years. And it's so like, I just don't get how God is ever going to use me to help other people. So um, I, I simply, honestly, this morning, if you think you're getting ready to hear something new, the answer is no. And in fact, one of our seminary, seminary professors that several of us um, shared, and I think Brad probably has said this at one point or another, he said, if you come up with something new from the Bible, that's not a good thing. That is not a good thing. So I'm going to read you what Peter said in Second Peter chapter 1 when he wrote, and he said, after he started listing these uh, truths about God and these qualities that we can add as, we, as he's given us all things pertaining to life and godliness, he just simply says, therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth in what you have. I think it is right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. Um. So, yeah, that's what I'm here to do this morning. I, I'm just here to simply remind you of things that you know. And, and, I, and I, I hope I do it in a way so that uh, for those of you that are younger, like, like the older you get, the more you think about, I don't have as much time left as I used to. And, of course, even that is a deceitful thought because none of us ever knows how much time we have. But particularly as you get older, and I just turned 68 in August, uh, you think, hmm, I don't have as much time left. What is it I want to communicate to my adult kids for them to recall and remember after I'm gone? And what is it I want to 
communicate to my grandchildren to remember after I'm gone? What is it I want to communicate to my brothers and sisters in Christ at Heritage Bible Church to remember after I'm gone? What would God have me do? And this morning, I'm just going to simply remind you of some things because after today, I'm going to be gone at least until next year when Brad invites me to come speak one more time. Uh, so, uh, title this morning just simply conveys this problem of when we fail, it's so hard for us to struggle and believe that God is going to forgive us of our sins. And and just so you know, I track all of your sermons that Brad does and that you have here as you go through books. So I've already gone through the book of 2 Samuel with you. And so when Brad uh, graciously invited me to lunch a week ago Thursday, and I thought we were just going to catch up, but then he snuck in the, hey, I'm going to be out of town a week from Sunday, and would you like to speak? Uh, um, I thought to myself, you know, I'm dealing with something right now with a guy who did something he didn't even mean to do. And it, it hurt a family so bad in our church. And I know that one of his struggles, even as he asked forgiveness of the family and asked forgiveness of the Lord and all that, is, uh, you know, how can I be used? Where can I be used? You know, why does the Lord even use me when I do stupid stuff like this, even unintentionally? And um, so what I want to do this morning, you can turn to at starters, turn to Psalm 130. And I normally just go through one passage, but what I actually want to do is we're going to start in Psalm 130, but then I'm going to take the life of David. Uh, parts of it, just relax, parts of it. We're still getting out on time. Uh, parts of it. And try to show, even in David's life, because I know Brad has covered some of these things with you, but, you know, he takes he takes these portions of a narrative of the life of David and has expanded on them, you know, and takes a whole message. And I want to like go, whoosh, I want to, sh- I want to tie several of them together all at once just to put you in remembrance and ha- encourage you that when you fail, you don't have to wonder um, why God would use me to help or minister to other people. So let's uh, start, um, if you would, um, and look at verses uh, 3 and 4 in Psalm 130. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Okay. Okay. I was in court Friday morning, uh, Greenville County, visiting, just visiting, uh, because someone in her church years ago had made some terrible choices. They had served some jail time, and they were coming there for probation uh, hearing because they had technically done a violation 
of their probation. And when you go to this courtroom floor down there and you stand before the judge, he's getting ready to, uh, you're going to have an attorney advocate for you, but the judge is going to determine whether you still get to stay out of prison on probation or whether you have to go back. And that's what our brother in Christ was facing. I was there with five other people plus his parents. And you, you, when, when the, there were several defendants and these cases just take a few minutes each, but you don't know exactly when they're going to call your particular situation. And so I, I was just listening and there were these different ones, but one of the things the judge would ask is, one of the things the judge would ask is he turned to like the state attorney and go, okay, so what's his record? What's what's his record? And and one guy, you know, they would say, you know, for most of them, they would say, you know, like, well, he did this and this and this and a couple of things or whatever. For one guy, the attorney goes. Your Honor, he has a, a record that's 43 pages. And you could kind of I mean, you could I mean, there wasn't like an audible gasp, like amongst the visitors sitting there in the courtroom. But, I mean, you could look around and everybody was kind of like, oh, my word, 43 pages. Like this, you know, this is not looking good for this guy getting much mercy from the judge. Okay. And the judge still was slightly lenient, but that's not really what I thought. What I thought was. 43 pages sounds like a lot when you're standing before an earthly judge in probation court. But can you imagine if the record of all your sins over all the years of your life were set before God as your judge? I mean, how many pages would that be? Like, I'm eating lunch with a friend afterwards, and he was sitting there, what do you think yours would... And I talked about this, and he goes, yeah, what do you think yours would be, like 68,000 pages? And I was like, you know, honestly, it might be more than that. I don't know. I mean, over 60 years of, like, sins that I know about, and then you throw in all the ones I don't even know about. Like, like not just actions, but thoughts. Okay, we're going to come back to that at the end of, this, at the, end of the message, so don't leave. Okay, but what? Look at verse 4. But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Okay, so three points in my outline this morning. Really simple. God did what? David did what? Now what? Okay. And I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to start. Uh, we're going to start in 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. And again, you know this story. Like in, in, in Samuel 16, the prophet Samuel comes to Bethlehem. He comes to the house of, you know, David's dad and he goes through all of David's older brothers 
He's looking to anoint someone. Nope, not him. Nope, not him. Nope, not him. God says, don't look on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. He picks out David. Samuel anoints David. And then in chapter 17, you have David. And, uh, you know, he's just a teenager. And Goliath. So I want us to start reading, though, uh, in verse 34. And just notice something. First Samuel 17, verse 34. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Uh... Okay, so let's just pause for a moment. It's corporate prayer time at Bethlehem Bible Church. Or, hey, it's corporate prayer time at Emmanuel Bible Church. But just the difference is most of you are either farmers or shepherds or something like that. That's what you do. That's what they did back in those days, right? And uh, a few of you may sell merchandise and things like that. But most of you are either some type of farming, agricultural, or your shepherds. And uh, so, you know, the person that's leading it, maybe it's Rhett, maybe it's somebody else. He says, does anyone have any praises or requests? And this teenager named David goes, uh, I, I, w- I would like to thank God that when a bear attacked uh, my flock that I was watching over this week, I was able to kill the bear and the Lord protected me. Yeah, I know. Most of you are looking at me the same thing I'm thinking. I'm thinking, what in the world? A guy killed a bear that was threatening the sheep. I'd be like, help yourself. Please don't take any more. All you sheep, come with me. We're going over this way. But I'm not thinking about going after the bear or the lion. Uh, but then, it's a few weeks or a few months later. You're having corporate prayer time again. And here's this teenager, David. And, uh, you know, it, come time for, it comes time again for, uh, well, who would like to give thanks? Well, I, um, I, would, I, I would like to... I would like to thank the Lord that on Thursday when a lion attacked the flock, the Lord helped me kill the lion. And you're thinking to yourself, whoa, wasn't this the kid that like had to kill a bear a few weeks ago? And now 
the Lord's helped him actually kill a lion? Like, God is doing some amazing stuff with this teenager. He's really watching out for this teenager. He's really protecting this teenager. It looks like God, we can really trust ourselves to God. Well, the thing is, did you notice in verse 34 what David said? He says here, uh, your servant, in verse 35, your servant has struck down both lions and bears. So I don't know how many times he did it, but it was quite apparently remarkable how many times God cared for and watched over and protected David when there was a legit danger and threat. And so now we see him, you know, as this story unfolds, now you see not only God helping David overcome lions and bears, but he goes on to kill Goliath, a giant man that nobody in the whole country wanted to mess with. And you think about that and you're going, wow. If anybody has seen God's power and his protection and his personal care, it's David. And then David goes on, you know, God not only protects him and cares for him in this way, but he's going to have him become king and he's serving and he's making plans to build a temple and Israel's enemies are being defeated. And I mean... This is some remarkable things here about how God is using David and blessing David. And then, oh no, uh oh, David did what? David did what? Okay, so now turn to 2 Samuel chapter 11. Because maybe there's times in your life where you can look and see and maybe there's something going on right now that it's just, it's awesome how God has been answering your prayers and showing himself strong on your behalf. And you've seen him get you out of what looks like really difficult circumstances or situations or somebody else in your family or somebody you know. And you would just think, man, yeah, let's just, let's just thank the Lord. Let's just worship the Lord. Let's just... Let's just praise the Lord. Okay? So what's it? What happens? You know what happens in 2 Samuel 11. David's not going out to like intentionally sin. He goes out on his rooftop to take a walk in the late afternoon. And because of the height of the rooftop and everything else, he happens to see a woman who's bathing. He inquires about who she is and finds out that she's the wife of Uriah. And so right there you're thinking to yourself, oh, okay. So she's married and she's off limits. 
But that's not what happened, is it? Uh, look in verse 4. So David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house. And the woman conceived and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. Hmm. I wonder what David is going to do when he learns about this pregnancy. It, we, we, it, you know, it's hard for us once we learn these Bible stories to feel the full weight of what's going on and the full pressure of that. Um, but you, you, you would stop and think and you'd be going right there. You'd go, okay, ooh, she's pregnant. People are going to find out somehow that I've committed adultery, so I need to go on ahead and confess my sin and get right with the Lord. And uh, So I'm going to ask the question again as the story unfolds, and we find out David did what? Uh, this is what he did. He sinned even more. He tries to cover his sin by inviting Uriah to come back home. Right? Why does he do this? So that when Bathsheba has a baby, Uriah will think it's his. He's trying to deceive Uriah. He's trying to keep the whole thing secret from the rest of the children of Israel and all that. Uh, But did you ever stop to think about what he's asking Bathsheba to do? He's asking a wife and mother to plan to hide truth from her husband and child all her life. He's inviting her to help him hide his sin. You're thinking, man, how bad can it get? Uh... So he invites Uriah home so he will sleep with his wife and the pregnancy will be attributed to Uriah. What happens? David thinks he has this plan working, but Uriah wants to set an example before his men about him not taking a relaxing vacation while his men are battling out in the fields and they are away from their wives. So he doesn't sleep with his wife. And so what will David do now? Oh, okay. My plan isn't working. Uh, I really need to confess my sin. I really need to ask the Lord's forgiveness. And I don't know what's going to happen. I just need to do that. Look at verse 13. Because this is another, another, oh no, David did what? And David invited him, and that would be Uriah, and he ate in his presence and drank so that he made him drunk. Now, you know why some people help get other people drunk? 
it's so they do stuff they wouldn't normally do. Or they make decisions they normally wouldn't make and they take actions they normally wouldn't take. And so here David is still trying to work his plan. But but even then, it says there, and in the evening, he, Uriah, went out to lie on the couch with the servants of his Lord. But he did not go down to his house. Hmm. David's thinking to himself, and you'd be thinking to yourself, well, that didn't work either. I guess I should confess my sin and just get this over with. Like, I've been trying to hide it. It's not working out. You know. But what did David do? And again, we're going to humbly say, because this is us too sometimes when we sin, Oh, no. David did what? Look at verse 14. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter, he wrote, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. And as Joab was besieging the city, he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there were valiant men. And the men of the city came out and fought with Joab, and some of the servants of David among the people fell or were killed. Uriah the Hittite also died. Then Joab sent and told David all the news about the fighting. Here's a guy, you're the, you, you, you have a position of authority. You're trying to get some stuff done. And here's a guy put, literally putting his life on the line to help protect you and the other children of Israel. And you sleep with his wife while he's away on a, on a mission serving in a conflict. So you have this plan that get him to come home and sleep with his wife so that everybody else except you and his wife. And I don't know if there are any other people in the king's palace that might know that David and Bathsheba slept together. I'd assume there would be somebody that knows that connected. And then that that doesn't work because he doesn't go in and sleep with his wife. And so then you turn around and try to get him drunk so he'll go in and sleep with his wife. And that doesn't work. And so now you're just escalating the amount and multitude of your sin and you're involving other people. And did you notice here, like it's not just that he came up with this plan and wrote this letter. Did you notice who he asks to deliver the letter to Joab? Like, he asked Uriah to take the letter. I mean, this guy is not moving up on the doing God's will, pleasing God's will. He's not getting many gold stars in this portion of his life. I mean... 
He's doing some terrible stuff, and it's just getting worse. I mean, and can you imagine being Joab and getting this order from the king? And can you imagine being Joab and saying, hey, Mark, hey, Frankie, look, Uriah's going to join you when the battle really gets heated and intense and all that. I want you guys to kind of fall back a little bit to make sure Uriah gets killed in the battle. I mean, man alive, how, how would you like to be even Joab? Or how would you like to be one of those other guys that were fighting, knowing they were setting their fellow soldier up, their fellow warrior up to be killed in battle? I mean, and this is David. This is David, the guy that he saw the Lord deliver him from the bear's paw and the lion's paw. This is David, the guy that saw Goliath get delivered. And God had done some amazing things. And you know what? I bet you. If I sat down with you and said, tell me some amazing things God's been doing in your life as you look back on your life. You can start ticking off some things. Some answers to prayer. Some providential ways things worked out in your life. Or in the lives of other people that you know. And. You also could look at moments and go. You can look back in your life and go, oh, no. What have I done? And in fact, I'm concerned because I've seen it in pastoral ministry now over 20 years and even being an elder before that is somebody can have a, a significant season of failure in their life or something else and they can't get away from it. It haunts them. Like they know in their head that the Lord has forgiven them but it just comes back to him over and over again that I don't see how the Lord's going to use me because I failed in you fill in the blank for whatever it is for you. You know, you're just one, you know, one season in your life, you're marveling at how God is at work. You're serving the Lord, you're living life, and all of a sudden... You're looking back and you are given into some temptation that you didn't even intentionally pursue initially. But then it starts with this some little simple, innocent, seemingly innocent desire. But then it starts growing into some deliberate choices. And then you start scheming how to keep your sin covered and hide it rather than deal with it. And you struggle to believe that if you come to God and ask him about it, even though you know he knows about it, that he will actually forgive you. Like what, what you really are tempted to think is, if God just wants to whack me over the head or send me to Lightning Bolt Seminary or something, like I totally get where he'd do that. Like he'd be totally justified. Yeah, or maybe it's just some uh, secret sin that because of your pride, you struggle to get help with? Like, 
I, it's, it's easy for me to do marriage counseling now in part because when my wife and I struggled early on in our marriage, like in kind of years four through seven, uh, which happened to coincide with when you start having kids typically, uh, I, I did not humble myself and seek help to understand the problem was actually me, not my wife. That was like something the Lord really had to show me, and he graciously did. But, man, in hindsight, I wish I'd had the humility to ask for help. And so I'm just encouraging you that if you're struggling with something, it may not be something as, as much as outward murder or outward adultery, but it could be struggling with an inward hatred and anger that you have towards somebody and in your heart, you can't really forgive them the way God's forgiven you. Uh, or maybe you haven't like outwardly committed adultery, adultery, but inwardly you struggle with your thought life or because of the internet, like you're looking at stuff and sexual material you shouldn't be looking at. And you're coveting someone else that you shouldn't be coveting. Okay, so, I mean, man, if you were the one-on-one person discipling King David, like, what would you do now? Like, now what? Like, thanks a lot, Brad. You asked me to disciple this guy, and I come to find out He's like committed adultery with one of his best friend's wives. He's, he's murdered her husband. He's covered the whole thing up. And now you're trying to give me advice and counsel on what to tell him. Well, for David, there's some consequences for his sin and others suffer because of his sin. Uh, but, you know, I wondered several years ago if there were ways that God used David after these failures. And in a few minutes, we're going to look at um, a few examples of that. But first, I want you to answer not, not uh, why would God use me to help minister to others. I think I've disqualified myself. There's a more important question that you're almost afraid to ask. And it's, why would God forgive me when this is the umpteenth time I've messed up? So let me suggest three reasons from the Scriptures. Uh, And uh, for the first one, you can just look right at your order of worship. Psalm, the assurance of pardon, Psalm 130, verses 7 and 8. You can follow along as I read. Because the first reason God, you can believe that God will forgive is because he is simply responding to you and being consistent with who he is. In Psalm 130, the psalmist says, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. 
Think about what the Lord says about himself. It's, it's, it's similar in, in Exodus 34. It's similar to your memory verse that you guys are working on right now. The Lord, the Lord, a God of mercy, uh, uh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. In this instance, God was gracious and merciful to send Nathan the prophet to confront David about his sins. And Psalm 51 is a personal testimony where David confesses that he sinned and asks for mercy and forgiveness. So God forgives because it demonstrates who he is. But secondly, he forgives that we might have an appropriate reverence and awe and love for him. Look at Psalm 130, verse 4. Psalm 130, verse 4. But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. And I I know that you have been taught, if you've been here for a while, you have been taught that fear of God is normally connected, especially in the Old Testament, with the idea of how good God has been to his people. And he's good to them so that they might fear him. So it's not being afraid of punishment. It's, It's not being afraid of punishment. It's so that you would have an appropriate, like, reverence and awe and devotion for him. So forgiveness helps God reveal himself to us. It helps us respond with the right type of reverence and awe. And yet the longer we live and the more we become aware of our sins, God intends something else in forgiveness. Not just having love for God, but actually increasing our love for God. You know how he does that? Don't turn to right now, and I'm hustling on time. But in Luke 7, you know the story. The, Jesus comes to a house. A sinful woman is crying. Her tears are wetting Jesus' feet. She uses her hair and wipes his feet, and then she puts ointment on his feet. And the guest of the whole thing has these thoughts going on in his head, like, why is Jesus allowing her to do that? And so Jesus tells this little story and he says, hey, uh, there's two guys. And they both owe money and one owes, owes 10 times as much as the other guy. And the lender forgives both of them. Which guy is going to love the lender more? And the host says, oh, well, it's the guy that was uh, forgiven the largest debt. And he goes, you've answered correctly. And then he goes on to say, This woman loves much because she's been forgiven much. And the one who is forgiven little loves little. And so you and I ought to thank God that when God points out his sin in our um, our sin in our lives, like that's not a mean thing he's doing. He's actually doing that so you would have a greater appreciation for how much you've been forgiven. And how much he loves you. And the response back is, man, alive. I love God even more. Like that, that this is like he's even more amazing than I thought he was. Okay, three quick examples. You ready? How did God use David? I've already mentioned one of the ways God used David. After this, what is it? It's one of the Psalms that has been of the most blessing and comfort to all of you when you have sinned 
because it teaches you about how to confess your sins and how to look to God for forgiveness. What's the psalm? Psalm 51. And when did, when, when did this come about? After Nathan confronted David. Okay? So, how did he use them? He simply shared his testimony. And that's all you got to do is simply share your testimony. Now, this may be a disappointment to some of you, but we're not going to add it and make 151 psalms. Your little story of grace, but you've got one. Every one of us has got one. And that's all we've got to share to be able to uh, have God use us. Okay, secondly, if you go back and look later at 2 Samuel 19, David has been given the victory. Absalom's been killed. He comes back. And his enemies basically come and they're just sort of casting themselves at his mercy. And David, he could exact. These are guys that were disloyal to him and took sides with Absalom. Excuse me. Took sides with Absalom. And so they're thinking, "Uh uh-oh, David's king again now and we're dead men walking. And David forgives him. All you have to do is to forgive others the way God has forgiven you when you betrayed Him. He can use you just with those simple acts like that. All right? And then finally, Matthew 1 has the genealogy of Joseph, Mary's husband. And in, uh, let me see here. Let me find it. I believe it's verse. uh, Yeah. So in verse six, it says, and Jesse, the father of David, the king, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Can you believe can you believe that? Like, why, why in the world does David deserve to be included in this genealogy of Joseph? Why is his name even mentioned? Why did he even have a chance to have a son named Solomon who would uh, actually build the temple uh, for God? It's because if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, who could stand but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. That's it. Now, how about the court hearing? You're kind of eager about that, aren't you? To find out how that turns out. Well, this, uh, I mean, it was sobering to be there, and I'd encourage you just to go and sit because it gives you a deep impression of like, wow, what if I was standing before the Lord or whatever? But anyway, sometimes after rendering a verdict, the judge would look at the defendant and say, all right, it's up to you now, but one violation while on probation and you will be back here and you will be going back to prison. I was there in the courtroom for, I don't know, about an hour and 15, hour and 20 minutes, heard several cases. You know what I never heard the judge say? I never heard the judge say something like this. My son and I have reached an agreement about your situation. Out of my steadfast love for you and my son's love for you, 
my son will be serving your sentence and you are free to go. In fact, if you do a violation in the future, you run back here to me, ask my forgiveness, and I'm going to forgive you every time because of my son serving your time. However, I, I would be honored if you would love others and tell them what I have done for you and what my son has done for you. You messed up, but I forgive you. Now I want to use you to help others, even though you failed. And so now I'm going to read one of the verses. Can we, can we look again at your order of worship? And let's read Psalm 130, 7 and 8 just a little differently. You ready? Here we go. O Emmanuel Bible Church, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with Him is plentiful redemption. And He will redeem all of Emmanuel Bible Church from all their iniquities. And your response is...